Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. We'd also like to thank Helping Hands and OSA EMR for their support of the show. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. And my co-host is... Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, a past president of the ANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles. As usual, our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs, and I think our topic today is definitely going to do that. And Sharon, what time is it? It's time to wake up, Jeremy. I think it is. Well, hello, Miss Sharon Pierce. How are you today? I'm doing good. I just got home from work. I'm running screaming hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we got another great episode lined up today. Oh, I think so too. This is a topic of interest to me. So, well, I'm good. Good. Yeah. Well, let me introduce our guests. We have Miss Marianne Cosgrove with us. Welcome, Marianne. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How about you today up in Connecticut? Doing very well. Nice sunny day. Nice about 37 sunny day. degrees here in New Haven. You'll, you'll take that today, right? We'll take it. All right. We're, we've got a, a good topic today, and it's something I know is near and dear to your heart. And we're going to be talking about elevations and ambient OR noise. Um, and it's something that, you know, from, from an outsider's viewpoint, I would have never thought about this. You know, my wife is a CRNA, and you know, I hear her talking about different surgeons come in and, you know, they've got the radio blasting and they're playing this or doing that. And um, it, it just kind of made me think back when uh, when I read your topic. So but before we get into that, why don't you uh, tell our listeners who might not know you a little bit more about you and um, and your background? I have been a certified registered nurse anesthetist since my graduation back in 1990. Uh, I graduated from the Hospital of St. Raphael School of Nurse Anesthesia, which is in New Haven. Now it is the Yale New Haven Hospital School of Nurse Anesthesia, where I am the program director. So um, I have had a wonderful career. Um, in the interim, have gotten a doctor of nurse anesthesia practice and a PhD from Virginia Commonwealth University. Go Rams. And um <laughs> My dissertation research was on uh, the topic of uh, intraoperative noise. Um, I have a wonderful husband. I have a son 
who is 29 years old. He's a veterinarian and he lives one town over from us, which is great. And uh, that's about it. I feel like very fortunate to be a part of uh, this wonderful profession. And thanks for the opportunity today. I'm really excited to speak with you. Absolutely. We're excited to speak with you too. And, and Sharon, I'm going to kick it off here. I know Sharon's biting at the, the bit here to, to start asking questions, but how did you become interested in, in noise as the focus of your research, Marion? Um, that's a double-pronged answer. First of all, I'm kind of, I don't think I'm mesophonic, but I am very sensitive to noise, ambient noise. Um, And I find that when it's a super noisy environment, I have a hard time really kind of focusing, uh, especially if something's maybe not going the way that's planned in the operating room, or I'm trying to think of something and there's noise in the background. That's, that's part one. Part two uh, was um, the year after I graduated anesthesia school, I was in uh, the operating room and the room next door to me had a stat call. And the stat call was an emergency where a patient um, who had laryngospasm after extubation, and he was a very big, burly guy, and the anesthetist was having a hard time controlling him. Uh, And he was becoming progressively hypoxemic, and um, he was calling, the anesthetist was calling for help, and um, basically eventually got the help that he needed. Uh, the outcome ultimately for the patient was not good, which was problematic. And when the debrief went on, one of the things he kept saying was it was like so loud in the room, I, I wasn't heard. I kept saying, listen, I need help. Can you call someone? Can you call an attending? Uh, and the radio was up and the um, scrub tech was breaking down the instruments and slamming them into the pans. And and he just, it was sort of like no one realized he was in trouble for what seemed like a a long time. It may have been less than that, but that sort of resonated with me. And I always thought about that. And so when I was looking for a topic uh, for my dissertation, I was very interested in the effects of noise on performance. And I wanted to create some sort of a, uh, an experiment where I could put people in noisy conditions and then put them in quiet conditions. And the noisy conditions were going to be about the mean decibel level of an operating room on any given day, which happens to be close to a vacuum cleaner, believe it or not. Hmm. Oh, I can believe that. Well, this interest, this topic is extremely interesting to me. And I'll give you a little bit of background, Marion. I was an OR nurse for a couple of years before I went into anesthesia. And back then, and that was a long time ago, the circulate, everybody in the room had to stop what they were doing during induction. And the circulator always went to stand beside of the bed as anesthesia was putting the patient to sleep. And that was in our protocol in the operating room at that time. And that was in the late 80s. Now, that's not the way it is typically anymore. But I will tell you, I went back to work in a hospital after about 16 years of being gone recently. And they do that at the hospital that I work at. Now, emergence is a whole different ball game. It's it's not like that anymore um, because everybody's breaking down everything and, and it, they're wanting to f- turn everything over quickly. So this is a real interesting topic to me, but 
tell me about the study that you actually did and how you did that. That sounds absolutely intriguing. I did not go with the initial plan of um, subjecting people to noise uh, and then subjecting them to uh, a quiet environment and taking um, a test of, of sorts, if you will. I still have that in my mind as my next leg of my project. But what I did as an entry project for my dissertation was I did a survey on the perception of intraoperative noise by certified registered nurse anesthetists around the country. It was the kind of am I the only person that thinks this? Am I the only person that cares about this? Or do other people think that noise is a problem? And I had actually seen a Facebook feed, a question, someone posted a question saying, hey, um, do you have a problem with noise in the OR? And the majority of people that answered said, yeah, I have a problem with it. But there was always this small quantity of people that were like, no, not a problem. It doesn't even phase me. And so I thought there's there's got to be some sort of you know inherent noise opposition in people but overall as a group do we realize it's there do we care about it do we think it affects us and do we think something should be done about it was were basically the four main questions that um the survey questions encompassed well you know the one thing that i can kind of think about as you guys are doing this because obviously i've never been in that situation but you know i can think of when my kids are around and they're screaming and yelling, and I'm trying to focus and concentrate on something. I mean, it is so hard. I mean, for me, and, and I'm pretty good at blocking things out. You know, I can I can tune well, out. You my are wife. a man. <laughs> yeah, I can tune out my wife, and she says, "Do you not hear those kids?" And a lot of times I don't, but there are times when they when I'm trying to do, and I am just. Wow, it it drives me absolutely nuts, and I can only imagine. I mean, here you guys are—you have someone's life in their hands. Um, you know, you're you're trying to focus on what you're doing. You're listening to your machines. You're paying attention. All this noise in the background, and you know, how do you make rational decisions with that going on? And, and I've never really thought about it, but you know, as you're talking about this, it makes a whole lot of sense that noise could cause mistakes in this scenario? That was a hypothesis. I thought that people would say, yes, absolutely. This uh, this does bother me. I do have trouble remembering things in noisy environments. I do have a tough time doing um, uh, procedures. A lot of the procedures we do take fine motor skills, for instance, during ambient noise increases and so on. And um, what surprised me was that although most of us said, yeah, noise is, is in the operating room, and yes, it is problematic, and yes, we, we should do something about it. Uh, most people thought that it really did not affect their performance, and parameters or metrics of performance for me were things like doing procedures, having recall of facts and so on, being able to communicate with the perioperative staff, concentration. And then what was even more surprising was that uh, CRNAs didn't feel that ambient noise increase was a threat to their personal health. So and this it, was all self-reported. The data that you're talking about was from your study. What did the literature review sh- show? Because it's just like, uh, um, you know, all the stuff that NBCRNA has done and all look, and we all think we're better than we are. <laughs> 
exactly. Well, there is a gap in the literature, and therefore that was the impetus for the uh, study. Okay. We really had not asked people what they felt about this, what was what the perception was of intraoperative noise, and whether or not they thought it negatively impacted their performance. Uh, we do know from the literature from broadband back in the 50s that uh, noisy conditions actually do uh, decrease your ability to uh, concentrate. Uh, he His experiments were, you know, just doing simple math computation in the presence of uh, loud noises and so on. And for the most part, the literature review did suggest that noise was very impactful in terms of performance, uh, except for uh, one study that I found from the military uh, that said that certain people actually do better mm-hmm. in noisy conditions. And these were guys that were working on the airfield. So I thought that that was interesting, but um, that was the only uh, outlier that I could find. For the most part, the literature supports the fact that we do not do as well as we should in noisy conditions. I would expect in construction, and mm-hmm. my husband's in construction, so I would think that there would be something in that literature that suggests the very same thing. Well, and OSHA actually does. Yeah. Yeah. OSHA will actually limit, if you're like a, your husband, if he was in uh, an area where there was greater than 80, greater, 80 decibels or greater for uh, mm-hmm time span of eight hours he would have to uh, be provided with ear protection so Uh, what is what is the or how many decibels are in the normal or well in the normal or uh, on a day-to-day basis this is a regional thing certainly if you're in a plastic surgery room and there's quiet classic music uh, nothing but you know, for the most part, if you're in um, larger rooms, bigger cases, uh, and the bigger the case, obviously, the higher the noise, it seems, the decibel range is usually in the high 60s, low 70s. Wow. wow. So it could be almost like a construction site. Well, absolutely. If you're, do- if you're doing orthopedics, it is a construction. Oh, and it, it exceeds, sometimes it can exceed, go into the 90s in uh, orthopedics from uh, drills uh, and so on. Um there are certain pieces of equipment, even the bear hugger at wow. the head of the bed, that continual drone. I, I mm-hmm. feel like a sense of relief when I shut it off. At the yeah. end of the day. Like, yeah. Oh, that feels so much better. So, um, yeah. And we asked one of the questions that we asked uh, in our survey was uh, what about what noise level do you perceive in the operating room on a daily basis? Uh, my perception of the typical level of ambient noise in the OR is. And um, the answers were interesting in that it was, you know, barely audible, um, very loud, uh, well, quiet, moderately loud, very loud, and uncomfortably loud. And we used those labels because that matched a chart from the Environmental Protection Agency uh, in California in 2000, painfully loud, uncomfortably loud very loud, moderately loud, quiet, very quiet, and barely audible. And uh, the overwhelming response, 73% of respondents said that it was moderately loud. But yeah, OSHA regulates construction, but it doesn't regulate healthcare, even though we could actually be in a place that has as many decibels as they regulate. Did I say that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, we had a nice uh, return on the surveys. We needed 382 uh, for power, and we ended up with 528 responses. So uh, we certainly got power. Um, but the responses were um, surprising, um, which I guess is the part of research that's most exciting. You have a, an hypothesis and you think it's going to turn out this way. And some did, but many did not. Now, some of the negative flow rooms are so loud. It, it's like they hum all the time with the repeated turnover that we have to have with if you're doing COVID cases in there. It's true. It's true. Things to think about as well as the, uh, the anesthetized patient. We have the capability in higher uh, amounts of noise to constrict the smaller muscles in our ear canals to sort of protect our tympanic membranes. And anesthetized, particularly paralyzed patient, they don't have that ability. So their ear canals are wide open. So if you've got someone who's in an orthopedic room or one of those negative flow rooms, that you talk about, um, you really should consider putting soft um, ear earplugs in them because they don't, they lose the capability to protect their eardrums. Wow. Well, that's something I've never thought about. I know back in the old days when we used to pre-treat with Curari, they used to say it sensitizes their ears, the stapes. And so they could everything gets super loud. And I've had a number of anesthetics and it's true right before you go to sleep. It's like everything in the room is so, so loud. Um, But I never thought about what you just said. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career. So we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. Marion, was uh, from the surveys, was there any impedance of communication amongst folks in the room? I mean, because it would seem to me that this could affect that as well. The question was elevated levels of ambient noise in the OR limit my ability to effectively communicate with members of the OR team. And uh, strangely enough, um, 44% of respondents said sometimes, and another 34% said rarely. Wow. So that at, on a Likert score of one through five, the mean total for that was 2.77, three being neutral. Mm-hmm. So it was actually directionally pushed more toward, no, nah, not really. Yeah, no, not really. So that was a surprise. That yeah. was a real surprise. Hmm, that is a surprise. Now, I've had to get sharp before when people weren't listening. My perception was they weren't listening and I needed help or something was happening. And I've, I think your tone can tell a lot of things. And I have done that before in an emergency. 
I know I can tell you when you're being curt with me, Sharon, your tone changes. I, <laughs> I get that. I know so. you do. I know you know. <laughs> Maybe know me and Pierce you know. are the only ones that get to experience that, but uh, but I do understand no, you're it not. now. <laughs> All right. So what are some of the things we've already talked about? Instrumentation, suction, um, radio, airflow, turnover, different machinery, anything else that we've missed that can contribute to the ambient noise in a room? Um, conversation was a big one. Um, mm-hmm. And what I mean by conversation is not the conversation that has something to do with the case, but the, right. hey, right. what did you do this weekend, blah, 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 that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. uh, conversation and ambient music uh, were way up there. Um, number of bodies in the room and amount of entries and exits. Mm-hmm. Those are the four things that we actually studied. And uh, the winner was non-essential uh, conversation. And that was statistically significant, followed by number of bodies in the OR and presence of music as well. So, and music is a tough one. If you tease that out, uh, some people really enjoy music, including me, um, as long as it's not blaring and not, you know, just pounding in the room as we sometimes do see so uh, but music actually relaxes people yes it does add to the over overall decibel range but um it it's sort of brings a sense of peace exactly <laughs> it sort of brings a sense of collegiality as well i mean people are all listening to music relaxing feeling it and so um that's Although a contributory source, it could be a positive as well. Um, and it, it, it all boils down to education. What was interesting to me as well is that for the most part, CRNAs didn't feel that this increase in ambient noise was a threat to their health, their overall health. And it's been shown over and over again that noise uh, stimulates the HPA. And so you're going to secrete more cortisol, your blood pressure is going to go up, your heart rate is going to go up. And if this happens over and over and over and over on a daily basis, um, this could lead to things like hypertension, type 2 diabetes. Uh, So when asked the question, elevated levels of ambient noise in the OR negatively impact my health, um, 37% said rarely and another 30% said never. Wow. So that's 67%, the grand majority, feel that it has no impact on their health. So um, why, why is this? Is this an education issue? Is this something that we should be talking about uh, in our anesthesia programs, about protecting your patients and protecting yourself against um, loud noise? Wow. I mean, it's interesting to me on the research side of this because it it, it almost seems as though what I'm hearing from you is that in, in this case, the CRNA is saying, nah, doesn't really bother me. I'm good. I can do my job. It's okay. I mean, that's kind of, and Sharon, I don't know your viewpoint because I've never been in that situation, but, you know, I'd imagine most CRNAs don't want to talk about limitations and it would be very hard for them to admit that, you know, there was some sort of limitation on them practicing anesthesia. I mean, I'm just, again, I'm, I'm looking for guidance because you guys do it and, and I don't, but it, 
you know, as well as I know CRNAs, I know there's one thing, well, there's, there's a couple of things I know. Um, one, you don't like to be wrong. Two, you like to be right. And three, you don't <laughs> want to, and three, you don't want uh, to admit that you have any limitations. So, yeah, well, you know, music usually doesn't go on until the patient's asleep. And I know for me personally, during the procedure, it doesn't bother me. If it's too loud and it's annoying me, I'll tell them you need to turn it down just a little bit. But when I'm waking somebody up, I do tell them to turn it off. Do you? Okay. Um, yeah, I do. Because I don't want to wake up listening to that. Mm-hmm. I also have them turn the OR lights off because I don't want to wake oh. up with those lights in my eyes. So I have them turn them off. Um whenever they're waking up. So, you know, I, but during the case, I truly don't think that music bothers me during the case, but maybe I don't know my limitations either, but you in the OR and even in a procedure room at the end of the day, when you turn everything off, then you realize wow, it was really loud in Mm -hmm. here. And you can just feel your body just relax. My husband sleeps with a fan on and I hate (laughs) that thing. But 38 years, you know, I made a compromise. And but in the mornings, if he happens to get up before I do, which is rare, but I'm like, turn that fan off and I can just feel my body go, ah, Sharon, you're not being honest. You're really not being honest here. In what way? Because, you know, Pierce has slept in our room before and he snores so daggone loud <laughs> that the fan is the least of your worries. I oh, promise well, you. The CPAP has helped that out a lot. So, yeah. But, uh, you know, we have oxygen concentrators that we use in the GI clinic and those things are loud. And you kind of get used to it a little bit. And then when it goes off, it's, you just, you, you can feel your body relax. Mm-hmm. So I, I had someone tell me, one of the CRNAs uh, that I'm friends with, that there was this one particular surgeon who liked to listen to really, really heavy metal. Mm, I've got a couple of those. And would sometimes turn it up extremely. And it really, they hated heavy metal. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the surgeon wouldn't turn it off. And, you know, I'm just kind of sitting here thinking through that. But, you know, I'm wondering if it's not a type of music you like. I mean, that could also aid in this, you know, kind of True, distraction, yeah. you know. I mean, if you really hate heavy metal music and you're having to listen to it for hours in a long case, or if you really hate country music and you're having to listen to it for hours, I mean, it could grate on you after a while. Mm. Very good point. And I've been in rooms where the music choice wouldn't necessarily have mirrored mine. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could see that for sure. So, Marianne, what did they say about you know patient safety? And I have a feeling now that we're listening to this, I can almost, uh, almost be fortuitous here and, and say that I kind of know where we're going with this. So. Yeah, you're probably, um, again, it was a surprise that uh, CRNAs, don't really feel that it's a threat to patient safety. Elevated levels of ambient noise in the OR pose a threat to patient safety. We have a very wishy-washy sometimes. Hmm. And um, remember, uh, it's uh, always, frequently, sometimes, rarely, or never. 
were the five options. Mm-hmm. So people were like, mm, the road. maybe. And yep. we uh, we had a mean score of three point two three out of five. So it was just Third this road. side of uh, leaning toward positive, but. I think to your point, um, back a few minutes back when you were talking about how we don't like to be wrong and we're always right and all that, I think. I meant that in a loving maybe, way, Marianne. Really <laughs> maybe a piece of this, and we discussed this at my dissertation defense. My chair actually said, you know, do you think it's because we don't like to show any sort of weakness or that we have to always be ready ding, 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 ding. <laughs> in, in any situation right um, but what i think i was most surprised about was the lack of knowledge regarding the actual effects of ambient noise and yeah. um we got open-ended comments at the end of the project and one of the comments was it, it's the, the the noise the cost of doing business mm. that's that's what it is yeah and it's to be expected and um so uh, very, very interesting stuff, though. Well, and you're, you're, you're trained as a CRNA to handle whatever is thrown at you. You know, you've got to be able to handle that situation. You've got to make split decisions based on your knowledge and your repetitive nature of what you've done before. And you've been there and done that. And, you know, I, I can see that. I mean, it makes a whole lot of sense that, you know, it, it would be hard for me to admit in what I do that, you know, that somehow there was something that was leading me not to do the right thing for my client as well. So I can definitely relate to that for sure. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. What are some things that we can do to mitigate some of the noise in the operating room besides being a witch and saying, hey, turn it <laughs> Um, There are a few recommendations. First of all, we talked about um, possibly introducing the, the topic um, in a patient safety seminar or a course to talk about, to let students know mm-hmm. about not only the effects on safety, but also the effects on your personal health and the effects on the patient, which we rarely talk about. I have, uh, NIOSH has an app for your iPhone that measures the decibels. Oh, that's cool. So if the room is super loud, what I'll do is I get up at the head of the table and I take my NIOSH sound meter and I I hold it next to me like this and you can't see. It's blurred for you guys but uh right now with me talking at it 74.7 so um wow which is just you that's just me so i'll stand at the head of the bed and i'll have it next to me and you know the surgeon will look at me and say what is that and i'll say this is the decibel meter wow the 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 world health organization suggests a level of no greater than 35 which is almost impossible to achieve 
in an empty operating room just from HVAC and the sound of the circulating mm-hmm. air. But if we shoot for between 40 and 50, it's uh, 45. Uh, it's probably a good thing, but it's very difficult to achieve. Um, one of the things uh, we don't usually have a place at the table when we're choosing what kind of equipment to buy, but there is a Buy Quiet from NIOSH in 2015 that encourages people to purchase machinery that makes less noise. Mm-hmm. Well, the Apple Watch does it now, too, doesn't it? The Apple Watch tells you if you're in a really loud, but I don't know what the decibel level it is that it defines as being loud. I don't know if you can preset it yourself or they have those uh, settings, but I would imagine that anything above 60 is probably going to give you a little bit of a warning. Creating no interruption zones. Uh, I don't know if you know that um, pilots uh, have something called the sterile cockpit where um, during takeoff and landing and anytime they're below 10,000 feet, uh, they must be quiet in the cockpit. There must be no non-essential conversation. If it has to do with the flight, it's one thing, but otherwise they need to be completely quiet. So we could sort of mimic that uh, in the operating room and what you're talking about with uh, quiet on induction. Usually during the timeout, I'll ask for quiet on induction, any emergence. And then as the patient is emerging, I'll remind people, hey, you guys, this guy's waking up. Can you just, you know, tone it down a little bit, please? People are usually respectful if you ask in a nice way. Mm-hmm. Um, interprofessional collaboration, you know, having noise champions, uh, not only anesthetists, but circulating nurses, scrub techs, and so on is a nice way to go about things. Certainly no punitive initiatives that just makes things worse, really. They do have visual aids. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It looks like a big stoplight. And then uh, if it's if the noise level is okay, your green light is on. Mm-hmm. If it's starting to noisy, the yellow goes on. If it's super noisy, the red light will go on. They have something called the sound ear, which is a little more feasible to be placed in an operating room than a big stoplight. And it's just a, a visual awareness that things are raising. And hopefully you'll lower your voice when you see that. Uh, that visual cue. I just looked on the Apple watch and the threshold is 90 decibels. That's pretty high. Yeah. And they said that's when hearing can be affected is, is over 90. So Apple says most probably is in the painfully loud. Uh, It's in the, nope. It's in the very loud. Uh, It's not even uncomfortably loud. Well, you know, whenever, whenever Pierce is DJing, I, my watch doesn't ping or anything, but I want to start paying attention. Huh. That's, that's Isn't that interesting. interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Marianne, um, before we kind of wrap up here, Sharon has uh, come up with something called the lightning round. It's kind of her favorite time of the podcast. So we're going to ask you uh, a few questions here. You can come off the cuff and, um, we'll try not to throw anything too, too crazy at you, but Sharon, I'll let you get started. All right. If you could have another profession, what would it be? I would own a yarn shop. A yarn shop. Interesting. <laughs> yes. Do you crochet? I love, or I love to knit okay. and I love, I love color. I love the arts. I would, I would be doing something in the, in the, in that industry. Wow, that's interesting, yeah. All right, what are you grateful for right now? I'm grateful for um, my my family, uh, particularly um, my husband. 
he um, had esophageal cancer two years ago mm. and I was uh, su- successfully resected, but needed uh, 12 rounds of chemo. Mm. Uh, he's doing well. Our fingers are crossed. We're still in the every six month CAT scan phase, but uh, knock wood, things have been okay thus far. And uh, we just came back from a, an amazing vacation for our 35th wedding anniversary on the Amalfi Coast. So uh, I'm grateful for all of that. That is, that's awesome. Well, along that vein, if you had one year left to live, what would you do? Go back to the Moffy Coast? I think so. (laughs) You know, it's funny you mentioned that, but I I think I would try to spend time um, in, uh, in Italy, maybe rent a little villa in Tuscany and live simply, you know, eat, eat really good, uh, clean food and, um, I'm actually trying, my goal after I finished my dissertation was to learn how to speak Italian and I'm, mm. I'm stumbling through Duolingo right now, but mm. um, I'll tell you the older you get, the harder it is to absorb mm. new information, but uh, um, that's what I'd like to do. Very neat. Miriam, what is your superpower? I think my superpower is caring for other people before myself, mm. uh, caring how they feel what they need. And it's funny because I don't usually come off like that. I, I keep a very sort of uh, serious facade, but I'm kind of like an m M&M. and I'm crusty on the outside and, you know, smooth <laughs> and yummy on the inside. <laughs> um, um. It, so I, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm an empath. Hmm. And I think, I think that's probably my superpower, really. I, I think sometimes it, it goes overboard and it starts to hurt me a little bit. It takes a lot from me, but um, I really, really worry about others and, and think about their needs and keeping them happy. And yeah, yeah, what a what a great superpower! And you know, I've I've always said you you never go wrong by doing right. So Ooh, that's that's, good. that's a good one. So, well, Marianne, as we kind of conclude here, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate. It. Is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners or get across from? your topic and, and so forth today? Um, just be aware. Be aware of your surroundings. Uh, notice um, noise levels. Um, know that it's negatively impacting your personal health, your patient's health, and possibly uh, your patient's safety. And when you can, see if you can um, control the noise. Strangely, uh, one of the questions at the end of the um uh, research project was uh, can noise be controlled in the OR and most people said yes it can and uh, thought um, it's always important greater than 50% said it's always important to employ noise control even though we don't think it hurts us or it's a bad thing necessarily for our performance so just an awareness of it know that it's there know that it should be controlled maybe try to employ quiet during emergence and uh, induction as well um, and maybe protect our patients' ears during noisier procedures. Yeah, I think that's great, Sharon. You you picked up that as well. I think that's good. You know. So, well, Sharon, I think it's a wrap. I think so. Marianne, we really want to thank you for being on. We want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mass with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. If you like our show and want to help us grow, Sharon, how can they help us grow? The best way to help us grow is to leave us a review, but make it positive. There's enough negativity in the world. Absolutely. 
You know, Sharon, we've been in the top 50 medical podcasts, and our goal is to be in the top 10. And going, going to, to number one. There you go. That's right. That's right. Until next See, time. I am trainable. You are. <laughs> <laughs> it's a wrap. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group.